of racism preaching the gospel is devilish a fake church called the prophet muhammad a terrorist forgetting god is not a religion but a spiritual bond and jesus is the most quoted prophet in the quran Thank you for listening to FarsightTV.com. You are locked in to Sidelife Radio. And I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop, a.k.a. the Black Dragon of the West Side, a.k.a. Zato, a.k.a. the South Bay Shogun, 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 a.k.a. the Iron Hook Assassin, a.k.a. the Black Cortez Killer. Ain't nobody triller than me, homeboys and girls. The Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, and health and fitness trends. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium like a Disa the Bishop. So you can be down now or you can bow down later because the West Coast OGs, the OGs, I'm trying to go up, I can't really sing. The OGs, we stay greater so thank you for turning in today if this is your first time listening understand that this may not be the best thing but it's shown up is the west thing but it's shown up is the west thing but it's shown up show show up uh, show up is the west thing yeah yeah uh i hope that you're having a fantastic day and i hope that this fantastic day opens the door you see that door open? Hey, look out there. Uh, I hope it opens to a fantastic week. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? I need you to subscribe right now on iTunes. I need you to sc- subscribe right now on Libsyn, Mixcloud. You know what I'm saying? I need you to subscribe right now on Spotify. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Me and Mike need that. And if they allow you to comment, you need to comment. You need to be like, yo, this is dope. Even if you just say a few words, man. You know what I mean? Because we be lacing you lace back. The, you know, BCP army, bruh, is growing, and I appreciate all of y'all, and I hope that you're having a good time. You know, it's the beginning of the year. Are you at the gym? Stop lying. You eating right? Tell the truth. Tell it! Stop lying, bruh. I know you was eating all them extra crackers. You probably got crumbs in your bed right now. Get Fix this bed and start eating right, man. We just started. It's 2020, blood. I want to, you know, really give out a lot of shout outs to people got a lot of good feedback from this last interview with Architect. If you about that boom bap and you really about like hip hop and technology, like beat making technology and stuff like that. Yo, listen to that first episode of 2020. Plus, I got a lot of health and fitness tips for real that work. Your boy's already leaning out. Ooh, I should show you what the guns in Navarone are looking right now. Oh, yeah. Check me out, brother. Adisa the Bishop is here, baby. Look at these arms. Abs, baby. Check them out. It's these. Word. So now, you know what I'm saying? It's time to get 
back to Heartbeat Props. Heartbeat Props are where we remind ourselves to thank those who make our days and weeks and years easier. So I want you to call three people that you care about, three people that have uh, made your week, your life, your moment right now, or even way back easier. And I want you to call them now because the idea is that we're not going to wait until people die to tell them that we love them. You know what I'm saying? If I love you, you already know because I've told you. If we got beef, West Side, you already know. Because I told you. But nah, really, um, it's about appreciation, man. It's about gratitude, you know what I'm saying? Being specific. Because a lot of time, people think like, you, you, of course you know I love you. Or, or of course, you know, even your own kids, you know? When was the last time you reminded your son or your daughter? You know what? I really admire the way that you do art because I can't do art like that. Or I admire how you didn't quit when you did A, B, or C, or I admire just or appreciate, you know, the 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 kindness that you speak to your grandmother with or your neighbors with. I mean, that stuff matters. So it's about being really genuine and being specific. So I always give three people shout outs, at least three people. So I am uh, shouting out my man, Gabe Comisaris, G-C-O-M-I-S-S-S. A-R-I-S on IG. Man, I've been knowing dude for hella years since he was in high school. He just graduated college. He's living up in Portland. And he was checking in on the OG um, over the last few days. And I, man, it was just one of these things where the boy been like just kind of down and missing his calls hella much. But he called just a few minutes ago, man. Gay, man. Much love. You know what I'm saying? I'm proud of you for graduating. I know I missed you on this last holiday stretch, but we're going to kick it. And I'm trying to get up to Portland blood, so we're going to kick it proper. So Gabe, man, much respect. Stay blessed. I'm proud of you, boy. Thank you for looking in on the OG, though, while you was out here. Uh, Then I'm giving uh, props to my man at this ain't Grant. He is a crazy dance instructor, a crazy sick. And I think I've shouted him out before. I'm trying to get him on the show, but he be playing extra shy. But let's stop playing and come up here and get on this show. Um, he knows a lot about hip hop. He knows a lot about MCing. He knows a lot about dancing and teaching dance. You know what I'm saying? When Hip Hop Chess used to do a lot of stuff at Ocala uh, Middle School in San Jose. What's up, Shark City, blood? You know what's up? South Bay Shogun got love for all of y'all. Um, he was really... Uh, 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 the first dance teacher that we had and then uh, you know some people know that we used to have a cheer and dance team and he was uh, a choreographer and he's a great choreographer he was just most recently one of the main people involved with uh, the hip hop nutcracker here in the bay I think I mentioned it over the holiday season but man it's always ridiculous and he's a part of that man shout out to Grant cause you was reaching out man we had some deep conversations like blood you know like sometimes your homie will hit you up at like 11 or 12 and you just start Whoa. next thing you know it's hella late bro you know what i'm saying um yeah grant you're a g he also actually just to give you an idea like you know we have to remember how talented people are he is a massage therapist at the ufc gym in san jose if you need a massage that's the dude you need to see he's actually very dope hit him up grant torino how sick are you when that's your real name blood grant torino blood come on now this ain't grant hit him up and then finally, I'm really just going to give a quick shout out to Wants VS Need. Wants VS Need on IG. They make some of the dopest jujitsu gi gears, etc. And you know what? Al, Eastside, Chuck, 
the homies, they're all at Heroes Martial Arts in San Jose. Those are my G's. So they put out a lot of new stuff for the top of the year, some hoodies, some sweats, you know what I'm saying? And uh, they dropping a lot of dope material, bruh. And a lot of the best fighters in the game rep wants versus needs. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the brand title speaks for itself, the brand name. You know what I'm saying? You got to figure out what you want. Fool, you got to do what you got to do. You got to figure out what you need. You got to do what you got to do. You know what I'm saying? But they really designed some dope stuff. So shout out to Al and everybody else over at Wants vs. Need on IG. Holla! I appreciate y'all, man. Dope gear. And now it is time for the West Coast Word of the Week. Um, This actually just came to me because I, you know, I be going off the dome when I come up with these words. This word is drug-related. Um, and I'm only sharing it with you because it sounds funny, not because I condone any drug use, bruh. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know if this was like just a word in the Bay or, or if it was just a word in the mission. All right. In the mission district of San Francisco. But sometimes when people would be on PCP, which is a horrible drug, blood, what are you doing, bruh? Like if you're on PCP, bruh, you, you have big problems, man. You need to go get therapy and if you're thinking about doing pcp just go to therapy right now call call 1-800 i need therapy right now bruh for real because you're in pain if you're taking stuff like pcp heroin you know what i'm saying like a lot of you know what i'm saying opiates bruh like you're in pain emotional pain you know what i'm saying check out the last show gabor mate look him up and go get some therapy but um when people would be on pcp you'd be like man what's going on with her why is he such a trip and they'd be like yeah, man, he's on that titiri. What? Yeah, he's on that titiri. But you have to say it just like that, titiri. <laughs> anyway, people be tweaking. They be like, yeah, he's on that titiri right now. So watch out. So that's your West Coast word of the week. Remember to rip the West and say it with your chest, fool. Now from Hip Hop Chess Federation, we're going to break down your... Um, life and chess strategies of the day this is this is something that i don't even think i really covered this in my book man but i speak about this when i be at the juvenile halls and i speak to the to the youngsters you know what i'm saying uh uh at risk out here right which is everywhere across america coast to coast so this is called the mosaic effect and i've spoken about this before i think um in older shows but i really want to bring it back because it's the top of the year right and this is when people be like yo i'm going back to school or yo i'm actually about to start working out or yo i'm about to you know what i'm saying embark on this business adventure or whatever i yo that's it I'm, I'm i'm gonna start being a dj i'm gonna start being an mc i'm gonna go be a dancer the best dancer and these are the times when people who love you your mom and dad sometimes your cousins your best friend Listen, when I told my friend that I wanted to be a hip-hop journalist, he laughed at me so hard. Because there were none, really. I was like, man, I want to write about hip-hop. He's like, fool, what do you know about writing? Ah, And he was like, my homie, homie, bruh. Hella hurt. Hella hurts when people who you love tell you that you can't do something, Right? Now, after I dropped one of my first, my first article in, in rap pages was about my father. Uh, I think it was just called Father Figure. And it was about how my dad really looked out for me when I was younger. How my dad taught me how to scratch. For real, use a mixer. 
and you know just the closeness that we had at that time and um after my boy read it he was like yo this is such a dope piece man like i didn't know you could do it i was like blood do you remember when you was laughing at me blood and he didn't remember Right. So I want to talk about the mosaic effect. What is the mosaic effect? The mosaic effect is what? If you know art, mosaic art is what? It's made up of small dots. And if you're too close to the painting, you can't see it for what it is. What do you got to do to see a mosaic painting? You got to step back. You have to step back and then you can see all of the beauty. Well, what happens with people who are close to you, like your friends, and people who love you, like your parents, cousins, aunties, and whatnot, they're too close to you and they can't see all that you are. And so, for instance, if you say you want to be a rapper or athlete or you want to do a business thing, a lot of times they'll tell you that you can't do it or be concerned or, you know, why don't you just go get a job at the post office, baby? Well, because nobody even buys stamps no more because everybody's using email and text. But, you know, they're too close to you to see you. They love you and they care about you. And sometimes they do doubt. Sometimes they do hate. But a lot of times it's really just out of love. They're afraid that if you try and fail that you'll be hurt and they care about you. But here's the point. Nobody knows what they're capable of. So they can't judge you. They just, they can't. I remember when when I was uh, in high school, I was rapping and DJing and all this stuff. And then in 1993, me and my boy AK Black and Rob Ski and some other folks went overseas to Germany. And we were doing shows in Stuttgart. Man, I'm talking about like like 2,000 people, I think, bro. We was killing it. Big shows, man. And with rappers and B-boys and stuff from all over, man. Shout out to the, to the, to the OG bomber, Coma. He was one of the sickest graph writers out there. And remember the rapper Maxwell Blood? Stuttgart, stand up. Yeah. Um, And so literally like the day after I came back from Germany, I saw one of my homies from high school at the mall and he was like, oh man, you still out there trying to do rap stuff? And I was like, yeah. He goes, man, you need to give that up. You need to go do something, you know, da-da-da. And I was with one of my homies who knew I had just got off the plane. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I just listened to him, and he walked off. And my boy was like, why didn't you tell him you just got back from Germany, bro? You should have told him you was rocking stage. I said, who cares? This fool ain't even a factor in my life. Now, he was an outright hater. Outright hater. But he was insignificant. People got the mosaic effect. Other people that love you. And you can't let the fact that they can't see all of your potential make you wonder what you're capable of. But you got to do the work. If you tell your family and friends you're trying to open a business, you better be on YouTube. You better be in school, signing up for classes and and just going after the art of creating a business. You understand? That's a big deal. Um, The mosaic effect. And watch out for using the mosaic effect on other people. The people that you love. And they tell you what their dreams are and you be the hater. You be the one that's too too afraid uh, uh, for them and be like, oh, you know what, man? You shouldn't really try that. No, but what Tupac say? Against all odds, man. Listen, you only live once for sure. I believe in an afterlife, but I know I'm here right now and I'm going to do whatever I want right now. You understand me? Because I can do what you want, man. You know, 
back when I first started doing jujitsu and stuff, um, I was hanging out with BJ Penn. Uh, shout out to Alex, JD, you know what I mean? Um, and he said, when he goes out on the mat, you know, he said, just leave everything on the mat. Don't have any questions. Like, should I have went for that takedown? Should I have gone for that arm lock? Should I have really tried to pass? He was like, just leave it all on the mat. You got to leave it all here on earth, man. Try all of it. You want to travel? Get your passport. Get on a plane, man. You want to go after that business? You want to start DJing? You want to start writing poetry? You understand? Just start doing it, man. Start studying it. Especially like if you're in high school and you know what you want to do, don't even wait. Go on YouTube and start doing it now. Don't let wait until these schools tell you that you're valid. You're valid. If you breathe in and you can see and you can move, you valid. Even if you can't see and you can move, you valid. Stevie Wonder, bruh. Okay? Do what you want to do. Go after it. Um, and now it is time for the haiku. Normally, you know what I'm saying? A haiku is a Japanese poem of three lines of five syllables, the first sentence, seven syllables, the second sentence, and five on the last. I love haikus. I become addicted to haikus. There's something about that five, seven, five thing that like, it's hard, but it's fun. And these poems do not have to rhyme, although most of mine do. Normally, I've been doing them on jujitsu. Then I started doing stuff on like stoic philosophy and I started doing um, some chess ones. This one is just a haiku. It's about like my life and it's about, you know, really being stuck in the rain on my way to work. You ready? Let me get some rain because I was stuck in the rain on the way to work. Mike, hit me with some rain. And not too much thunder, but you know, maybe some wind. Here we go. Walking in the rain. Numb hands as I figure plans. Dreams of foreign lands. What? Y'all didn't know I could do that, bruh. Get off me. My haikus be rhyming mostly, bruh. Back up. Listen, one more again, one more again, one more again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep the rain, Mike. Walking in the rain. Numb hands as I figure plans dreams of foreign lands boy i'm about to travel bro what you think i meant i'm out bro uh flight 272 to morocco for banjoko ivoko it it hey man speaking of that on the real uh so i guess world war 3 is off for now <laughs> Hey, but I just want to say, man, um, not that I wasn't nervous at times because, you know, the president, you know, he'd be tripping. But I really didn't think it was going to go down. I got nervous at times, but I wasn't tripping. Um, yeah, I wasn't tripping. But I do want to say something really quick to you as a lover of nonviolence. You know, uh, they say that the first casualty of war is what? One more time for the people in the back. That's right, the truth. Um, I don't pretend to know it all, but I do know 
some hardcore facts I'm going to share with you. But you got to go investigate this. This is how we going to know who the real ones are. Because it's hard to understand when you see Trump talking, when you see a lot of his messaging like, make America great again. And everybody's going, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Right? And we're like, what are these fools excited about? When was America great? I don't understand. Let me help you understand. Go on YouTube right now. Actually, don't do it right now. It's kind of a long documentary. Go on YouTube right after this show. And you're going to look up a documentary from the BBC called The Power of Nightmares. You got to understand what I'm telling you is so real. You will never understand what's going on in Iran and Iraq. You will never understand Trump and those who follow him. You will never understand Ronald Reagan. You will never understand the first or second Bush until you understand the power of nightmares. You won't. You won't. But you need to. You need to. See, Mike knows. A lot of people in the Bay, they really know where I come from politically, man. Um, I mean, like, Geronimo Pratt gave me my middle name, you understand? Um, I was Tupac's godfather, you understand? Like, I helped to free him. He was sending me letters from jail. He was mentoring me as a political prisoner from jail, bro. You know what I mean? I would give small messages to Tupac once in a while. That's why me and Tupac were close, because he knew I looked out for his uncle. We we weren't really close on a hip-hop level. Like, we were hella cool, and we were supposed to do a song for the Force One Network that he ended up doing with... Don't get me started about Force One Network, blood. Jimmy Dry, blood. Anyway. Um... My knowledge of hip-hop and politics is a lot deeper than I speak on this podcast, and I do that by design. Because I was so entrenched with uh, what I learned from Sister Keelun Yasha, rest in peace, and uh, Bobby McCall, Money B's dad. Shout out to Money B. Shout out to Bobby McCall. Shout out to everybody who was behind the Commemorator, man, the Commemorator newspaper, because I was the first hip-hop writer for the Commemorator newspaper. The first columnist for real, the Bishop's Baseline. You know what I mean? A chess piece with an onk on the top instead of a cross. Listen, man, you need to watch The Power of Nightmare so you can get your mind straight. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Cliff note. I believe that the that Iran shooting those missiles at the base was a setup. This was all a ruse. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The news already said that Iran told Iraq, we're going to shoot up this base. And that they already believed that Iraq told the United States, so the United States had nobody near that base. Now, Trump had been talking crazy, right? We're going to drop all this stuff, bombing all the cultural centers, da-da-da. I don't even think he meant that. Because the Pentagon and all these other institutions inside America was like, you can't even do that, bro. You're violating international law, you big dummy. I think he did that to fire up his base. I think that is dangerous because that's how mosques get shot up in America. That's how hate crime happens in America when he does this kind of stuff. He fires those dudes up that go into churches and kill old ladies praying to Jesus. 
okay? But Iran had to save face because their boy got clapped. So I think that this was all smoke and mirrors. But until you watch The Power of Nightmares, you won't know. When I got The Power of Nightmares, I was so blown away. I took the DVD and I mailed it to Immortal Technique. And he used a clip of it and put it on the third world. Shout out to Immortal Technique. That's the homie. My point is simply that I need you guys to relax and work on staying informed. Watch out for a lot of the banter that goes down on Facebook. I don't even really be talking to fools too much. Because, you know, it's too emotional. You be arguing with your uncle. Uncles be arguing with, you know what I'm saying, cousins, mom and dads. Just lean back, but do your homework. I'm serious about what I'm saying. And you see how this plane went down? In Tehran, um, a lot of Canadians died. And so now they're saying like, oh, you know, I saw a clip. I saw a news piece that said they had footage of a rocket, an Iranian rocket, shooting that plane down. I don't know if they really shot that plane down. What if America, knowing the janky, played out 1980s rockets that the Iranians had, what if they shot that plane down on their own? What if they shot it down? What if Russia, knowing that they supply Iran with stuff, what if they shot it down using the same kind of missile? We got to be careful. I'm not saying for sure America did it or didn't do it. I'm saying I don't believe that plane crashed on its own. And I believe the mystery around it opens doors for suspicion to keep stirring the, the, keep stirring the pot between nations, between religions, all right? And I'm also going to say something else. This is important. When I talk about hip-hop being nonviolent, this is what I'm talking about. When I talk about that rap music is the most single art form in the history of Earth, of Earth, to promote peace. These are the moments that we shine. Because I can go into hip hop and I can say, look at Erase Racism by Biz Marquis. I can say, look at Tupac's Changes. I can say, look at J. Cole's Be Free. I can look at almost any song by Public Enemy. Some of the first three or four albums by KRS-One. I can look at almost anything by my man Immortal Technique. I can look at T-Cash. I can look at The Coup. Before Sorry to Bother You. You know what I'm talking about? I can look at Paris. All right? I can look at Letter to the King by the Game and Nas about Martin Luther King. Go look that up right now. And I can look at Nas's most recent What is it? What is it? What is it? Uh The War Against Love. Pull that up. The War Against Love. Right? Because if you don't have the coup, you never get sorry to bother you. Nonviolent protest music is the root of what hip hop is. Outside of being fun, you're supposed to learn from hip hop. I'm challenging every rapper out there. I don't care if you're on syrup right now. Say something you care about on wax. ASAP Rocky, bro, you kidding me? Remember how you stranded and disrespected all the people of Ferguson? And then you always trying to play it off like, oh man, you know, I'm not really knowing about this stuff. And then you got locked up though. 
Huh? Overseas, huh? Come on now. Come on now. Speak up. You was locked down. You know it didn't feel good. I'm not asking you to be Huey Newton, man. Speak on something that matters to you more than syrup and the teeth. More than the chicks and the money. I know there's something in your heart that's deeper. And your fans need it right now, man. Your fans need it right now. I don't care about French Montana and 50 having beef over nothing. Because there's too many people dying in the streets of Chicago and New York. There's too many people dying in L.A. and Oakland. There's too many people dying in Minneapolis, in D.C. For me to be distracted with that stuff. That stuff don't mean nothing. These children's hearts mean something. You're trying to outbuy cars. You're trying to outbuy and bling each other out. Man, who cares, man? The, the kids that went to your schools are still struggling. Will you please invest in them? Will you please build a rec center? Will you please create a tech incubator for them? Right? But hip-hop is nonviolent. Go show me as many rock songs as hip-hop songs that deal with nonviolence because our children are killing each other. Our children are watching our other children kill each other. Our children have PTSD from the songs, from the violence, and from the violence in the songs. Don't ever try to challenge me about, oh, hip-hop is violent. Don't ever try to challenge me about, oh, it's just, you know, y'all just talking about uh, guns, drugs, and it's way more, way more. So I want you to look that up. I want you to remember, rappers, this is your chance now to step in and say something to your people. If you are a rapper anywhere in the world, if you are upset with your president, if you are worried about right now, if you are worried about the future of the world, if you are a graffiti writer, stop writing your name on the wall. Time it out. Stop writing your name on the wall. From now on, your new name is poverty. Your new name is education. Your new name is wisdom. Your new name is nonviolence. Your new name is no more war. Your new name is peace. Your new name is love. I need you in South Africa, in Chicago. Come on, man. In San Francisco, in South Central, we have to change. We have to start bombing the walls with wisdom. Bombing the walls with political messages. This is why in Poland, graffiti stays legal. Because the graffiti is how the political organization shared news with the people. Hip-hop was weaponized from almost day one, from day two. Hip-hop has always been against the state. It is an art against the state. It is an art of war. You know what a pimp said one time? He said, mind your wants because somebody wants your mind. You understand? Listen to what that pimp said. He said, mind your wants because somebody wants your mind. Do you understand how deep that is? Shout out to Sugar Free, West Coast. 
if the first casualty in war is the truth, then what do you got to be on a quest for? Huh? You think these weak-ass rock fools about to give you the truth? They can't even put it in their music. Hell no. Huh? Look, I love my, my parents and my grandparents, and I love jazz. I love the blues. I love all the other art forms that came before hip-hop, but none of them get down like we do. None of them do that protest music like Dilated Peoples, like Everlast, like Snoop's Imagine. Huh? Y'all forgot about that? If you're a DJ, you should be making mixtapes of protest music. Or, man, remember when um remember when Rob Swift did that one album, that DJ album, man? Rob Swift from the Executioners did War Games. War Games. There are chess pieces on it. That album was lightweight banned when it came out and he had videos that went with it. All about 9-11. All about the poverty in the streets. All about the suffering. Come on, man. Y'all ever look at the graffiti of L-Seed, E-L-S-E-E-D? Does these beautiful Arabic murals all about peace and love, man? All over the world. Come on, man. I met him once briefly when he was visiting the Bay. Briefly, though. Like, what's up? Salam. All right, then. You know. Come on, man. All you turf dancers, B-boys and B-girls, poppers, lockers, however you get down, crumpers, I don't care. Start battling and using that money to help somebody or something, some recovery effort. The recovery effort could be here. It could be for veterans of the war here who got PTSD, who are strung out, who need help. Remember Rakim's Casualties of War? Come on, man. Hip-hop has always been protest music, the best protest music, the wisest music that's ever been on this earth. We need you to be weaponized again. A lot of people have been telling me, go online, look up the weaponization of hip-hop on OK Player. I did a three-part thing in 2016 about how it was time for hip-hop to be re-weaponizing itself against the state. Y'all must be tripping if you think I'm slipping on that, blood. Don't let all this stuff like, yo, man, like, don't forget, blood, like, you know what I'm saying? I ran with Panthers, you know what I'm saying? Late 80s, early 90s, bro. You know what I'm saying? 82nd MacArthur, boy. Know what I mean? Out there, know what I mean? Like, y'all tripping, blood. Y'all tripping. Listen to what I'm saying. Weaponize this art. Weaponize this art. But you can't weaponize this art until you weaponize your hearts. Listen, I love IG just like everybody else. I like being on Facebook like everybody else. But this ain't the time for bread and circus 
while people are dying in Iran, dying, huh? In Myanmar, dying in China. People always be like talking about uh, uh, Auschwitz and they talk about um, World War II when they go, look what they did to the Jews. Horrible, inexcusable. America knew and knew better and should have done more before those concentration camps got set up. It was wrong. And the world should feel shame for what they allowed to happen to the Jewish people in World War II. And I'm going to say as a Muslim, if you're a Holocaust denier, you should be like double ran over, bro. Double ran over. With like a tricycle though. Because I want you to live. I just want you to know that you're wrong and have a tricycle right over you a few times. If you're a Holocaust denier and you're Muslim. Any Holocaust denier, really. But because I'm Muslim, I'm always saddened when I see Muslims trying to say, oh, that's not what... Listen to my point. People always say, look at anti-Semitic attacks in New York. Too many. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you ever wondered what you would have done during the Jewish Holocaust, the nothing that you're doing now to help 3 million Muslims in China right now get out of those camps? That's exactly what you would have done. You know, and you go, why didn't anybody do anything for the Jews? They didn't do anything for them. What are you doing for the Muslims in China in the concentration camps? You think I'm lying? Go look it up. You know better. I already talked about this on more than one episode. They are killing them. They have men, Chinese soldiers, living with married Muslim women because the men have been carried off to the camps and they're beaten and tortured. These women are being raped. Some of them are jumping off buildings rather than be reprogrammed by the Chinese state. It's not right. And maybe, you know what? You're like, well, yo, what about 9-11? What about the Taliban? What about, hey, yo, don't ever let the worst people from any religion or culture be the litmus test of how you see them as the true self. You want a real Muslim? Muhammad Ali. Go read the book, Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight. It's about his revolting against United States refusing to go fight in Vietnam from the day he said he wouldn't fight until he won in the Supreme Court. Read that book. Look at those statistics. Look at those statistics. He knew better and he did better. But then when uh, 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 some Muslims fly some planes in the, in, 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 in the world trade, people go, oh, well, that's the real Muslim. Let me tell you something. World Trade Center had Islamic masjids in it. What Muslim is supposed to blow up their own house of worship, huh? You got to think. If I said, oh, you know what? Because of the Klan, that's all that Christianity is. I can't base what Christianity is off the worst Christians in North America. No. No. They got Chinese Muslims dying right now. Right now, there are Chinese women stuck in a home with a Chinese soldier who has horrible intentions. And our country is doing nothing. 
I'm not even doing enough. I don't even know what to do except talk about it on this show. I don't even know what to do. But this is all I can do. I can tell you to do something, and I can tell you that we should do something. And if you know anybody that's doing something, you should contact me because I can't stand this. We're on the brink of another Holocaust. Only it's Muslims, and a lot of y'all don't care because it's Muslims. We got a lot of smoke and mirrors. Everybody's got to dig down. Everybody's got to read. Everybody's got to look back in the books. Everybody's got to stop thinking that they know what's up already. I'm not even sure what's going on already. But we can do better. We must do better. It's unacceptable. We have a beautiful opportunity. And on that note, we are going to move on to my interview. This is a great interview. This is about your brain. This is about understanding the power of philosophy. Who I got is Professor Greg Watkins from Stanford, okay? Dr. Watkins has taught in Structured Liberal Education, SLE, since 2002. Listen to this dude's track record. I hang out with smart people, bruh. He has a BA in Social Theory, a self-design major from Stanford, with honors in Humanities and MFA in film production from UCLA and a dual PhD in religious studies and humanities from Stanford. Come on now. Greg's research interests hover around the intersection of film and religion, and he continues to work on a variety of film projects. Listen, I met him at the Boys and Girls Club down in uh, the Boys and Girls Club of the Peninsula. Shout out to Remy Sobo. Remy is the homie, man. Remy is the homie. Anyway, he introduced me to Greg. Me and Greg hit it off. And this is our conversation. This is a philosophy professor. We're talking about the rise of philosophy in the modern world right now. You got people like um, Jordan Peterson, right? Who's been going through it, huh? If you've been following Jordan Peterson, he's been going through it, man. He's got some interesting takes on things. You got the rise of Stoic philosophy. I've been talking about it since last year. It's helped me a lot, right? And because organized religion isn't hitting on all cylinders in America like it used to, people are turning back to Greek philosophy. People are looking back at Kemetic slash Egyptian philosophy. People are looking back. And so this conversation is about philosophy the depth of it, what it means, how are people thinking, how are they cultivating their thinking, and where is it going kind of wrong? What's bad about it? What's not working? What aren't we thinking about? I want you to really, you know, you heard the last one, man. I had Architect on, breaking down hella stuff you had no knowledge of that dealt with hip-hop in the Bay, hip-hop in the West, production, technology. You know what I'm saying? Greg Watkins, Professor Watkins is, he's, he's an amazing scholar with an amazing mind. And you need this wisdom right now because you're stepping into 2020, right? And 2020 is about that clear vision. This dude is the kind of man you need to help you see that vision properly. So check out this interview, right? Hit me at Bishop Chronicles. Follow me there. I always follow back. And we're going to keep building. Wait till the next, man, the next, the next episode's on technology. I don't even know if you're ready for that. But I thank you for staying listening. I thank you for taking a moment to understand how important it is that we weaponize hip hop against 
all warmongers, against all of those who would try and destroy our peace, against all of those who would try and negate our humanity. I need you to love people who don't eat like you. I need you to love people who don't pray like you. I need you to love people from a different political party. I need you to love people who don't have your same melanin content. I need you to love yourself enough to step into a new world with clear vision. And one of those first steps starts right now with Professor Watkins. Let's do it. Bishop Chronicles, Farside TV. Let's do this. All right. Peace to the planet. You know what it is. This is Adisa Banjoko. I'm chilling. And you know what, man? Like, look, I told you, you know, as we go toward 2020 and like getting everything set up, like, you know, I'm, I always think it's weak when people wait until the beginning of the year to be like, all right, now I'm fit. Now I'm going to start studying. And now I'm going to start. Like, you got to start when you know you need it. Cause like my theory ever since I was young, I don't even know why it's been like, if you wait, like, if you say, I'm going to do this next year, you might not live through next year. You don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So once you recognize it, you try to adapt. So I'm trying to make sure that we end the year strong going into 2020 um, with some fantastic uh, mental and physical clarity on, you know, what we're doing and how we're approaching it. You know, and that sounds a little bit like philosophy. How are we going to build our philosophy? So I figured... If I'm going to do that, I need to talk to like a real philosopher. I need to talk to somebody who knows what's up. So talking to Greg Watkins of Stanford University, <laughs> welcome to the Bishop Chronicles, my uh, good man. Thanks for having me. It's great Thank to be here. Thank you for being on the show. Like, How long have I known you now? Like, is it a year, two years? Something I think like it's that. been a couple of years. Yeah. So we yeah. met at the Boys and Girls Club That's and right. you told me about your show. And- Shout out to Remy Sobo <laughs> yeah. for making that making that connection. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad that you're sitting down with me because um I have a lot going on in my head and I kind of want to run some stuff by you about Great. you know, uh the rise of 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 Greek philosophy in in recent years and and w- why it's popular and what's good and bad about this this new mm-hmm. trend in in America. Um but first, you know, Introduce yourself. Tell yeah, sure. the people what you do, sir. So I I teach in a freshman program at Stanford. So it's um it's a bit intensive. All the students choose to be there, uh, but it's like a double course load, three quarters long. They all live together. Uh, it's called structured liberal education, and we kind of take them through basically the Western tradition. So starting with um, ancient Greece. You know, over the course of nine months, working up to the end of the 20th century, philosophy, literature, religion. Um, so I've been doing that for a good 20 years now. My my own PhD is in uh, religion, religious studies, philosophy of religion. So not any particular um, kind of religion. I, I have a particular interest in Buddhism, but I'm actually probably best trained in um, Western um, religion and philosophy. So, and I, I, my, the reason I'm excited to talk to you is I, there's kind of a tension even within academia between like a scholarly approach to these things. Mm. Like what's the history of philosophy and mm-hmm. how well do you know it? And what, how well can we learn it versus what I think philosophy is at its heart, which is trying to answer the question, how should we live? So right. I, you get these 18 year olds and you're trying to 
wake them up to their own assumptions about the world and start asking questions about it. And then use these, these texts from the past to help you sharpen those questions and answers. So yeah, that's what I like to do. No, that's beautiful. That's, that's great. So I'm going to first talk about my intro to philosophy, like how I started like learning about it. You know what I mean? Great. And then kind of look at like what I'm dealing with now. Um, so the truth is like, when I was in high school, I was a binging alcoholic my junior yeah. year, and I ended up uh, dropping out in 1988. And then that same year, uh, while I was in my GED program, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. While I was taking like my GED plus like a like an electronics course, which I hated because I was really just taking it for my dad because he was a, <laughs> a, he was he was a a mechanic over at United Airlines, right? And so mm-hmm. he's like, you know, you get this electronics thing, I can get you in the I can get you in the you know United, and I just knew I didn't want to do that like at all, right? Like I knew you're going to get the job and get fired because you don't care about airplanes, United, nothing. Like <laughs> right. I just didn't care. Um, and then I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X because of public enemy, um, reminding me about Islam. So then I'm, I'm, I'm reading autobiography of Malcolm X. I'm seeing him in jail, reading all these books. And I'm like, damn, okay. So you can totally not have a traditional schooling and mm. still figure some stuff out. Cool. So that leads to me you know, I'm a complete embedded hip hop head. I'm writing for the source at that time, or right before I think I started writing for the source, um, and some of these other hip hop pubs. And so I start reading just anything. Well, I'll tell you what happened. KRS one dropped a song called My Philosophy. Uh. And so the beginning of the song has these dudes talking, says, So you're a philosopher? And the other guy's like, yes. And scratches, yes, yes. <laughs> and then like, like, I don't know, man. It just pulled the trigger. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. And despite the fact that I think Karis one is a complete lunatic now, uh, I do respect him as a rapper. And that song had a great impact on me. So then I went, start, I, the shift went from used record stores to used bookstores. I'm reading pre-Socratic stuff. Then I'm reading The Apology. Then I'm reading Euthyphro. Then I'm reading, you know, uh, other works by Plato. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loving it. And then that gets followed by the Afrocentric philosophical and cultural bum rush on academic campuses where people like Socrates was a thief of the Egyptians and so was Plato and all this stuff. And I was like, (laughs) okay, so there's a book called by a guy named Patahotep. Do you know this book? No. Okay. So there's a book called Patahotep. It is technically the oldest complete book in the world, allegedly. Hmm. And it comes out of Egypt. And this guy was um, scheduled to be a pharaoh but he liked religious stuff. And so he was like, I don't want to be a pharaoh. He let his brother be pharaoh. And then when his brother became a certain age, he was like, uh, hey, I want you to teach my son some of the stuff you know. Right. So he wrote this book for his son huh. about how to be a, a young man in society. It's a very small book. I mean, it's like 15 pages at best. Huh. And it's great. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. But, and I read Stolen Legacy, which is like the core book that people use for the arguments about why uh, Socrates and other Greeks stole stuff from uh, from from the Egyptians and comedic science. Nevertheless, my argument then was as it is now that it didn't really matter to me whether or not he studied in Egypt, 
um, whether he learned from Egyptians directly, because what the Greeks and the Romans did with that philosophy on their own was still beautiful in its own right. Yeah. Uh, and I also didn't get the feeling that it was done with malice. Like, it wasn't like, oh, guess what I got right. from over the water, dudes, listen. Yeah. That wasn't the vibe. Um, and so I, I, that was pretty much the spectrum of my philosophical journey. Until recently, when I almost died two years ago. Mm. And I was having all these issues. Um, then um, I started having some other problems within my family. And I was like, yo, like, you need to get clear on what the hell's going on in your life. Because I was, I was getting dark within mm. my own head. And I talked to a guy uh, named Abraham Marte, who is an amazing jujitsu player. And he was in town. We were supposed to hook up. And I didn't go see him. And he was like, dude, where are you at? And I was like, dude, I'm going through it right now. Uh, and I started breaking stuff down. He was like, dude, you need to study stoicism. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And so he started talking to me about Marcus Aurelius. I jump on YouTube. I start looking at these videos. That yeah. leads to me um, reading up on stoicism. And I've become like, I don't want to say a serious, a serious stoic, but I've, I've started reading stoic books and works, you know, Massimo Pigliucci and Ryan Holiday and some other, you know, fast track stoic dudes right now. Um, and it just made me think back to those early days. I was like, yeah. wow, I can't yeah, believe you, you, you walked away from all this Greek stuff and now you're, you're, you're back to it. Right. And now I see all the time, stoicism is a huge trend in, in, in at least North America. And I think it's growing across Europe, um, in the West again. I see more stuff on Socrates every day in, yeah. in my Instagram feed or, you know, things like that. And so I wanted to ask you, when you see this new rise of, philosophic discussion happening in the West, happening in America specifically. Why do you think it's happening? Yeah. And is it a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I want to back up a little mm -hmm. bit about your experience with mm -hmm. Socrates that, cause I've experienced that in our school setting. Cause you know, we have students come through who are concerned about the canon. What does it mean to study this and what mm -hmm. kind of authority does it legitimate? And, um, and you know, sir, if you if you if you want to know where ideas come from historically, then there's a way to there's a way to find out. But I, I share your view um, that Socrates Socrates is really about a s strategy towards life. It was not about um, taking some chunk of knowledge and then transmitting it, whether it's his own or somebody else's. It's it's how are you going to live? And Socrates being the guy going around asking that question and then showing that the people who felt most confident about their answer actually didn't know did, anything. Didn't know anything, right. And so he literally starts from and says, we should start from not knowing anything. Um, yeah. You know, beginner's mind kind of thing. Which so, is so profound, period, let alone right, at that time. Exactly. And I think that's what spoke to you at that point in your life is, I don't have to, here's a, here's an education system, which is pushing me in one direction. I can just wake up and ask the question myself, how should I live and start yeah. looking for answers. And, and that makes philosophy in that sense, very practical. It's like, well, what works? Yeah. Um, I, I don't do any jujitsu. I'm a, I'm a UFC fan. I love following all that stuff. And I'm always curious when you bring jujitsu into the conversation on your podcast, but it seems to me similarly practical. Uh, it's like, it is. 
you're you're facing this problem and you ha- ha- the way to resolve it is to submit the other person. Yeah. But between the problem and the solution, there's, there's a lot ways. of there's a lot of things to consider. <laughs> right. Yep. And he gets hairy. <laughs> yes, right. Um Buddhism, just by the way, is similar in the sense that um by all historical accounts, the historical Buddha was just saying, we seem to have a problem as human beings. Here's what I think that problem is. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if it doesn't make sense to you, go somewhere else. Um, so, uh, so I want to say that first, that that's how I see philosophy as just that basic starting point. Yeah. Um, the word itself, by the way, just to nerd out a little on etymology. Let's so. nerd out. I'm an <laughs> etymology. Okay. Me too. I love just <laughs> goon. So go ahead, sir. So you probably know then the, the, the philo part is love. So we find that in Philadelphia, brotherly yeah. love, um, philanthropy, which yeah. is supposedly love of your fellow man, but <laughs> yeah. may, may also be the love of a tax break. But, right. But, but we'll have to ask itself. Joel Alstein. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then the Sophia part, just so it means wisdom. That's like we could translate right. it that way. But then if you ask what is wisdom, the Greeks had a very specific answer to that, which is it, it means good guidance. It means being able to solve the practical problem. It's like, so if you think about, I need a, I need a wise person, like you went to your friend or your friend came to you and said, you're having problems, read some stoicism. That was, they were dropping wisdom on you. They were saying, you need guidance. Here's a source of it. Um, So the philosopher in this most general sense then was the person, was a lover of wisdom was was devoting their life to finding the sources of good guidance and the methods to yep yep acquire it exactly um so that's um kind of the picture of philosophy in general so quick question yeah, are yeah. You, do you consider yourself a practicing buddhist or or is buddhism are fragments of buddhism just you know navigation points through how yeah. you process. You know, I, 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 I study religion and, you know, it's natural for people to ask me, as you just asked me about mm. uh, Buddhism, do you practice? And um, I always felt a little embarrassed that the answer was no, no matter what somebody assumed about me, whether it was Christianity or Buddhism or whatever. Mm. Um, but, and I, I finally realized that my study of these texts is my practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're experiencing that mm-hmm. a little bit, I mm-hmm. think, just reading Stoicism and mm-hmm. then thinking about how can it, how right. can I Which, make use of yeah, it? Yeah, how yeah. much of this can I use or whatever? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So it's that, it's that pragmatism. So it's not, I've become a Stoic or I've become a Buddhist or I've become a Christian. It's what in here is going to help get me through. Um, a teacher of mine, um, was uh who's who knows a lot about Buddhism, studies Buddhism, was in Bhutan talking to a you know very highly um achieved uh, Buddhist master there. And this topic came up and and this is so his story was the breakthrough for me. He told my friend, your your study is your practice. Mm. Um, so you read these things, you think about them. Your meditation is your is your thinking about them. Like you don't need to sit down and a certain position and breathe a certain way. Um, some people need to do that. Some people that works well. So I don't do any kind of Buddhist practice. Um, right. I do. I recently started doing this Dr. Weil four seven eight meditation, which lasts about a minute. Um, I don't know, but that's awesome. <laughs> 
So, but I have no, my, my practice as it were, was just thinking about these things mm-hmm. and letting them soak in. And Where are you originally from? I grew up in a little farm town in Southwest Idaho. Okay. And how'd you end up at Stanford? Yeah, it's just one of those things where um, never heard of Stanford. I did well on the, you know, PSAT. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do this, but they just sent an application in the mail. And and a co- I think a common experience for bright kids in our school system is they they just you know they do well if 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 they're behaving mm-hmm, <laughs> they'll, mm-hmm. they'll do well in their um, math and science it's like that's the measure of being smart so I, I did well in those classes I did well on the test got this application applied thought I was going to be a doctor chemical engineer. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had my wake up moment yet, um, and took the class that I now teach in. Crazy to, <laughs> to get rid of to get rid of those pesky humanities requirements. Wow! And then it just it, yeah. trigger blown. <laughs> yeah, just boom. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, why do you think philosophy is big in America? Why is there is this, why is there a resurgence of so- Socratic philosophy? Why yeah. is it? Why is everyone talking about Stoicism? Why is everyone talking about what Jordan Peterson says? Yeah. Why is everyone talking about you know what Donald Robertson? That's that's I took an online course on Stoicism, uh, mm. Donald Robertson, which I really loved. I thought it was really fantastic. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And so he wrote a book called uh, <clears throat> How to Be a Rome, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, huh. which is which is uh, growing in popularity. Yeah. And so um, you know, it was just it was really good stuff. I, him, Seneca, I read How to Die mm-hmm. uh, by Seneca, which ha- having a near death experience, yeah, really helped me. Right. Really helped me. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but what, what do you think this resurgence is rooted in? Is this about America, the pendulum of America being so religious, right, to going to some state of indifference, and now it's swinging back? Yeah. So this is this is all off the top of my head and mm-hmm. from the peripheries. Which so is the not, best. Which is not the best something stuff. I've studied. Um, but I do have a few thoughts about it. Um, one is that... Um, we have to get into a little bit of philosophical terminology. So mm-hmm. metaphysics is the term of art in philosophy for talking about what is. And often a metaphysics includes supernatural or non-physical elements. So in Plato, we get this idea of the forms, that there's a realm of reality that's not physical. It's okay. invisible. You can only access it through your mind. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or certainly in the Western religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, mm-hmm. there are other, you know, God, God himself is this other reality. And in the, so the long, um, kind of a long story about philosophy in the West, I think, is the breakdown of, of thoroughgoing metaphysical stories. So if you, if you lived in medieval, uh, Europe and you were a Christian, um, or you were a Jew of a certain time, mm-hmm. or Muslim of a certain time, the story about the world was just taken for granted. It was not up for grabs. Like right, you, that's you, what it was. That's what it was. You, you're born, and you're told you're in this world that has a God, and here's the sacred text, and Instead they're heaven. That, do this, don't do that, yep, and then exactly. get there. It's a full story. Um, so part of, the, part of what the modern period is, is a breakdown Challenging to those stories. So in the West that came through, you know, the rise of science, Mm -hmm. um, certain forms of inquiry, skepticism, Mm -hmm. and then even knowledge of other, other full systems. It's like, uh, um, 
so, you know, the conquest of the Americas suddenly is like, right. wait, there's all these other people and they think a different way. And so we're very, we're very used to the idea that um, you can pick different ways to think about the world and that's our free choice. And mm-hmm. we live in a, you know, a world full of diverse views and, but it's eroded. So in a, in a, in a weird way, a Christian now compared to the medieval Christian is a different kind of Christian because they have to choose it. They have mm-hmm. to say, here's where I'm putting my chips. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think is a, speaks to a kind of general erosion of a story with a metaphysics that you have to adhere to as part of the story. So, right. in, so in this way, is an American dilemma. In many yeah, ways, right? modern, because, modern Western. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But quickly you becoming, wouldn't, you wouldn't get this in jolly old England, as you know, a couple hundred years ago, right? I mean, like. Yeah, but I think that I think just globalization generally is going to have this impact. It's right. going to be there's other ways of viewing the world, and 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 in some ways you can think about the reaction to this modern Western thing. Um, as a shoring in lots of countries, it's a shoring up of the old story. It's like mm. keep that American liberalism away. We've got We're a story that here. works. We got it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so to kind of jump, there's a lot we could talk about there, but to jump to the punchline, Stoicism and the philosophy, even very generally, as we talked about earlier, um, doesn't worry about the metaphysics. It's uh, or or if it if it paints a picture of metaphysics, as you know, probably from your own um, reading of Stoicism, it makes those uh, extra physical things irrelevant. It's like, right, so right, right. getting through life- the, It does play the background heavily. Yeah. Sure. And so our getting through life is not going to be about being in relationship to those otherworldly things. And in fact, the the more we downplay that, the more we can get clear about what strategies actually work. So it's very this-worldly. It's very in the moment. It's very face reality, and I think that speaks to people. If if there's a if there is a kind of diversity of ideas out there, and a lot of them are pitching a metaphysics, well, you need to believe this about the nature of reality or that. This one just says, "Hey, you've got you're trying to get through the day tomorrow. Here's some here's some helpful ways of thinking about that." Right. Um, so that's the that's the quick story. There's there is a um, just so I don't forget, and you mentioned Jordan Peterson. Um, there's a woman, Donna Zuckerberg, who's Mark Zuckerberg's sister. Okay. She's a classicist trained at Princeton. So okay. she studied the classics. She has a book, um, called not all dead white men. Um, but it's, if, so I don't know a lot about this, but she took the time to study in her book, this mm-hmm. phenomenon of mm-hmm. particular people like Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. which she, she links it to anti-feminism as well. That there's a, interesting. it's a kind of bro thing that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> also. The, the broening <laughs> of the West. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, uh, I think it's getting a lot, it must be, I trust her that it's getting a lot of energy from some other cultural forces mm-hmm. that, um, it's I got to read that. Yeah, you should check it I out. I got to read that. Yeah. That sounds And it and it and so I think she's saying that the philosophy piece that we just talked about, can mm. this help you get through tomorrow is getting um tied up with like you can you can view that independently, I think. Like I can read this and decide is this helpful to me? Right. But she thinks there's also this trend of certain cultural figures embracing these old figures, 
because, of course, packaged up with those old ideas are some other old ideas about that patriarchy. They get to, yeah, that they and get to elitism. maintain yes. and, and, and champion. So if this guy speaks to me about death, well, hey, he also has this to say about women and this to say about (laughs) politics. And yeah. Right. And then how do you bring the best of those old ideas in with a new idea that is is synthesized with new reality, more openness, and new ideas that may be challenging you more than you're ready to face? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) So is the, is the, is the pop culturing of philosophy good or bad for philosophy? Yeah, on, you know, honestly, I think it's it's like anything else. And this this um, shows once again that I'm a pragmatist. That it's how you use things, mm-hmm. and so, and I think as with anything powerful, it it gets used well and abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think it's a good thing to the extent that it can get people asking straightforward questions about what do I think about death and mm-hmm. life and suffering and mm-hmm. how and am I going and society how am I going to rise to those challenges and then gets abused by people who want to take that growing reputation of something old but useful and use it to shore up things that aren't aren't so great mm-hmm. um but I to me, that's like the the ultimate uh, um, power of philosophy is philosophy gives you the tool the tools to notice when that's happening and question when that's happening. Right. To call people out on the misuse of stuff. Right. No, that's such a that's such a huge thing, you know. And I I think the thing that always okay, like quick throwback to that same era, right? Yeah. All in the hip hop and stuff and you know, reading stuff. And I was going to like Mo's books on Telegraph and I was mm. going to Cody's books, RIP Cody's books. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All I, yeah. the bookstores, RIP all the bookstores. I know, right? <laughs> right. Oh man, those Sad. used to be great, yeah. right? And so uh, I remember, I think it was like Telegraph and Durant was where people like, there would be like rap battles on that corner. And there would be all these people that would talk about different stuff, like in between, you know, there might be some random, like, skinhead who spoke about, you know, Karl Marx, right? Or there'd be some, uh, it was yeah, well, crazy stuff, right? And right. all it was this big, like, synthesis of ideas. And I was, like, loving, you know, that, that entire thing. Um, but people who, who were classically trained, philosophers and researchers, like they sometimes didn't like that because they felt like people were just walking around with fragments that felt good for them, right? But like, isn't that good? I think it's good. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's, uh, I guess maybe some language for when it's good and when it's bad is, I think philosophy teaches, especially in the Western tradition, tracing back to Socrates, Mm. take nothing on authority, Mm. period. So if you if you're walking around spouting Marx because you've somehow become convinced that it's the authoritative language to speak, that's maybe not so good. But mm-hmm. if Marx has taught you to see with a critical eye what's going on around you and to not like I think philosophy is inherently countercultural. Mm. I mean as you know, Socrates walked around yep. challenging his fellow citizens. Like, why are you doing that? What, what's right. this about? Yeah. Um, 
because he knew that they needed to be challenged because they thought they had it worked up and they thought they knew how to act authoritatively. But as soon as he questioned them, it, it would all fall apart. Un- yeah. Unravel yeah. quickly. Yeah. Unravel quickly. It's like, um, I, I should be embarrassed making these jujitsu references in front of you. No. Like, I, the, like what I know about the rise of, of MMA mm-hmm. is, is people buying into the authority of a system until finally someone said, let's I just bet you see that doesn't work. work. <laughs> right, I bet exactly. that doesn't work in real life. <laughs> right. Get out of here. This is, <laughs> this is Okinawan yeah. karate, bro. Yep. We win everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, it's true. Yeah. So and now I, even jujitsu is facing that reckoning. Oh, really? Right. Cause what's happening is so many people are doing jujitsu now that it's not the secret. Mm. We all know it. Right. So now we're so equal in jujitsu. Ah, so then, right. so now my punches do matter. Right. Right. Now my punches right. do, right? right. You made my punches not matter because I didn't know how to do anything on the yeah. ground. Yeah. Now we both are black belts in jujitsu. Yep. So punching and kicking does matter. Yep. Right. I think the life of the mind should be exactly the same. If you mm. settle into, oh, I found, oh, Marx gives me the key to everything, or mm-hmm. or Jesus gives me the key mm-hmm. to everything, or um, to stay alive, the mind's got to keep keeping whatever right. it is alive. And as right. you change, and as the world change, it's going to keep. That's going to keep changing. So that's what that's what I think. Good philosophy is is really teaching mm-hmm. is um, the spirit of of endless inquiry. So you've thought about things for a long time, deeply sat with wise people, <laughs> read texts that most people will never even know exists. Do you believe in an afterlife? Oh, man. I, I am completely, I, I haven't shut that question down. Mm-hmm. Um, I live my life as if I don't put any, um, eggs in that basket as it were. Like I don't make the, uh, the afterlife. The reason you're nice. Yes, right. Exactly. Uh, or anything like that. I think, um, until, until, until I have evidence to the contrary, um, I think we have enough to figure out right here. I, I do think, and I think the history of philosophy and religion teaches this, that mm-hmm. our attitude towards death is important to figure out. I mean, um, for some philosophers, for example, start with the, the fact that we are the animal that knows we're going to die. Mm. Like That's what makes us different. Mm-hmm. Um, other animals, of course, are afraid of things, uh, flee, et cetera, but they don't, they don't have consciousness of, right. It's out there waiting for me. Uh, what am I going to do about it? So, um, so I look at, like, I look at, um, systems of thought religions that include a robust picture of the afterlife. And, um, uh, and I, so I think it teaches us the role of death in coming to terms with life. Um, and I think one way to do it is to conceive of an afterlife and mm-hmm. think those things through. But there are two things actually we teach in in this class that have taught me a lot about how that works. One is um, Dante, who's you know, right. 14th century poet who writes Inferno. So it's like about the afterlife. It's about hell. The Inferno is mm-hmm. about hell. Mm-hmm. And then it's got paradise and um, purgatory. <clears throat> 
um, it's very clear to me after spending a lot of time with that text that Dante is not writing Inferno to convince us that a hell awaits us. He's showing us people in hell to convince us that we should treat each other differently mm, now, like deep. not for the sake of, right. but here's what it is to be human. If you look at this poem I've constructed, I'm showing you what it is to be human, what motivates us, how it can go wrong. Mm-hmm. So we can pl- apply it now. And then we just did um, our Quran unit. You know, we don't, it's, it's like two days long. So we, we fly through things, but um and I'm sure this is considered a non non-traditional way of looking at it, but I think the <laughs> those short, you know, the focuses on, you know, the reckoning as it were, whatever mm-hmm. language you want to give it, um, especially in the short surahs near the end. Mm-hmm. I don't I see that as radically existential. Like I think it's saying uh, that this this doom is gonna is in your future, you know, whether, whether it's the death or it's your experience of death two years ago, it's Mm. like at some point you're going to wake up Mm -hmm. to radical contingency that this is not going to last and who you are impacts how you handle that. Um, That's real. Yeah, that's fair. I have to, do you know who Hamza Yusuf is? No, I don't think so. Uh, that sounds He's a, he's a, he's, he's an amazing, um, Islamic teacher, and he's he he's one of the founders of Zaytuna College, a small oh, okay. Islamic yeah. college in 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 Berkeley. I need to introduce you guys yeah, to each other. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, I bumped into him on my way to teach jujitsu the other day, and and um, he had seen me, um, uh, in the midst uh, in the darker mm-hmm. elements of my transition, and um, he had talked me through a very um tough moment. And I hadn't seen him for about a year. So um, I came across him. He's like, hey, Islam Lake. I was like, well, Islam, what's up? You know, we're talking. And he was like, so how is everything? And I was like, I smiled. I was like, it's better. It's way better. He's like, really? And I was like, yes. He goes, man, that makes me so feel so good. He goes, you know, the Greeks have a saying. A more fatty, you know, mm. like, you know, uh, uh, love your, love your fate, right. you know? And I was like, oh my God, I was just <laughs> reading that the other day. Like we were talking about, you know, and it's really great because one of the things that I love about Hamza Yusuf and a lot of the <clears throat> scholars at, um, Zaytuna is they have this great synthesis of Eastern and Western hmm. traditions. And so they can pull from both, you know, all yeah. the time, yeah. you know? Um, and, and, um, I just I I say that to say I really do need to introduce you to that's one. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Um and 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 he's translated some some Islamic texts uh that that are pretty profound like Purification of the Heart mm. that that's a book that's that you can get any day of the week. Uh Purification of the Heart and some other stuff. And so um you know this brings me to my next thing cuz you also mentioned Dante. So I was on this stoic chat room thing that I'm in on Facebook um which is already a problem, right? <laughs> um, and so I literally just posted a picture from a book that I had scoured through when I was when I was in, in London that talked about the Greek translation of the 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 Islamic translation of of Greek texts, like how important it was. Totally, that the West 
Essential. even had any of it. Like we don't even have none of this stuff, right? And and I, I read Golden Age of the Moor <clears throat> way back in the day by Dr. Ivan Ben Sertima, which which broke down a lot of the things that the Muslims did yep. in Moorish Spain yep. to make so much of what we're even talking about right now possible. So totally. could you for a moment, and what happened is I posted that pic, flame war. <laughs> Muhammad sucks. Like, it went cra- I was like, what happened? I was, and it was literally a picture of the book. Like I wasn't wow. like, I was just like, Hey, isn't this cool guys? Wow. Stoicism is yeah. awesome. And da, 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 da. And people jumped on me with both feet. And I was like, I didn't know that all of you philosophical people hated Muslims so much. <laughs> How is your stoicism working yeah, wow. for you? If that's the case. Wow. Um, and it was crazy quickly. I wanted to know what is your understanding of that aspect of history and how is it as crucial as oh, some yes. people say it is? Could you talk to that for just a moment? Yeah, and I, do, I again, not not an area of expertise, but I do I know enough to know that. Um, I mean, the, the thumbnail version is mm-hmm. Aristotle mm-hmm. would not have made it into the into Western thought without its uh, trans uh, transmission through through uh, Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just transmission. It's not like they just kept it on the library shelf and then suddenly it showed up in, in Europe, but um, lots of deep philosophical thinking in the Islamic tradition about Aristotle and all the Greeks. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing stuff. Um, but it was it was thanks to the preservation, because as, as you know, ancient texts were at risk of just dissolving. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they would just disappear. So they had to constantly be recopied and preserved mm-hmm. and... Um, so yeah, the Islamic world was uh, crucially important, uh, and then Aristotle, by way of these, not just the Aristotle texts, but the the commentaries on them, the mm-hmm. philosophers who use them uh, in the Islamic tradition, come into Western Europe, and it's right around the time of Aquinas. So mm-hmm, Aquinas, mm-hmm. one of the better known names of the that scholastic period, absolutely. He revolutionizes Christian theology with um, Aristotle, which he's now inherited. Um, and then it's absolutely central for what Dante does. Dante could not do what he did in his poetry without Aquinas, right. who could not have done it without Aristotle, who he wouldn't have if it weren't for uh, its preservation through the Islamic tradition. There's a really cool book called uh, People of the Book, and I keep referencing it because it's so awesome, by a guy named Zachary Carabell. Hmm. And he outlines that whole thing very well. Like so good, I don't even, I can't even try. Yeah. I won't even speak to that it. That transmission. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He he writes extensively about that in his book called yeah. People of the Book. Yeah, Zachary Carabell. Yeah, Amazing cool. piece of work. Blew my Check mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blew my mind. Um, so what I also wanted to ask you was, you know. I can at, jump in sure, with sure, one, sure. More, one yeah, more yeah. comment about the flame war. Yeah. Because just to circle back around to what we talked about earlier, I think the flame war on the Facebook group is proof positive of people's tendency to fall into authoritative thinking rather than open-minded philosophical yeah, thinking. Yeah, I felt like I they mean, had like built into some kind of dogma thing. And I was dogma, like, dude, I don't care exactly, what you're talking about. Exactly. Like, this is a historical fact. Like, I don't <clears throat> care how you feel about Muslims or the Prophet Muhammad <laughs> right. or whatever. Like, right. you're talking about yeah. it because some Muslims said, we need to keep this book alive and yeah. breathing and pass it on. Yeah. Like, that's the only reason. And people, yeah. it was like, yo, there's yo, darkness. Perfect word. Do- I think dogmatism is the, is the human problem, mm. you know? Just, just uh, adopting thinking without mm-hmm. bringing it to life for yourself, and you can only do that with an in- 
acquisitive mind. So, so in that transmission, Islamic thinkers had to be open to the potential of a non-Islamic Greek source contributing mm-hmm. to their ability to think about their God. Mm-hmm. And Aquinas had to be open to a different tradition's transmission of a non-Christian mm-hmm. text. I mean, that's that's how it's going to work. It gets deep. And that's the beauty of humanity to me. Like, when, yeah. that, when you see stuff like that happen, like, that stuff is inspiring to me. Right. You know? Me too. Now, here's something that has just been, I've been wrestling with on a personal level. Like, um, you know, they have um, these issues in Myanmar um, mm-hmm. where you have... Uh, really ugly clashes between Buddhists and Muslims where a lot of the Muslims, I mean, we're talking about high level, you know, war crime level stuff, you know, extinction stuff. Yeah. Carried out by people that at least in America, you know, I grew up watching Kung Fu on TV, you know what I'm saying? And, (laughs) you know, you're trying to get the marble from my hand and, you know, I'm not going to fight you. You know what I'm saying? All this (laughs) stuff, right? And you're like, yo, like, rape, murder, torture, erasing of peoples. What is happening in your understanding of modern Buddhism in that region of the world? What is happening inside the Buddhist world that makes that possible? Because I know for a lot of Americans, one, they don't know about it. Two, they don't understand it, it because it it clashes with everything the traditional Americans have known about Buddhism. Yeah, what is happening? Yeah, philosophically, oh and what do you and and is that a political thing that's just hijacking the religion? Yeah, or is this a religious thing that's being carried out? And you know, yeah, yeah. Again, not with a lot of I know lot of I expertise, know. but I have, I have some some ideas. Um, what so one big obvious thing to say is so we get a picture of Buddhism. And I think it's true that essential to Buddhism is a no harm principle. Right. Like that's at the heart. Right. And so then if that's, if that's getting communicated to non-Buddhists, oh yeah, the Buddhists, they're peace loving, right. et cetera, et cetera. Then they see something like this on the news, like what, what's going on? Christianity, of course, uh, Jesus is a Prince of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, love your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, it has at its heart, a message of peace, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what the no text question. is, and I think that's what he was about, uh, if I had to guess. Um, so, <clears throat> should be equally confusing to us. Right, like, and you're the, like, hey, what happened true. to the Native Americans? I don't know, we can't find one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so then becomes manifest destiny and, right. and, a, and a God for I got some dudes I'm going to take people. on a ship over here real quick for some free labor. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it gets ugly. Uh, and so, so one answer is that political realities do can trump the spirit of a religion. There is, though, also, I'm told by people who know better than me, there is there is something about the way Buddhism works that mm-hmm. that at least in modern history, it seems less likely to find itself in those difficulties, which is to say, you know, preaching one thing and practicing another. Um, right. And it's kind of a you know, is that is there something about Buddhism that makes that less likely? Is uh, Those are tough questions. I think in Myanmar, very, the, um, the Rohingya piece of the social political puzzle there mm-hmm. really was feeling like an existential threat to both um, 
Buddhism. Uh, so, so Myanmar, I think I got this right, is the most Buddhist country in the world. I think it's, you're right. It's like yeah. 90% practicing Buddhists. Yeah. So, so when you see this um, religious minority population growing, mm. needing resources, um, it qu- it can quickly become an existential threat in that, like, how am I going to get by right. approach rather right. than... If the Muslims keep growing. Yeah. Right. Um, and it got ugly fast. You had, like, very highly achieved Buddhist oh. teachers who you think should know better. And just are, co-signing it or yeah, just being yeah, yeah. mute on the subject. Like, right. hey, I don't right. know, that's them, guys. I'm yep. going to stand over here. Yep. You're like, I thought you just got a peace prize. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> Yeah, that there's a, there's that's very confusing to me too. I was a big admirer of hers. Um, it makes you wonder what's how the, the details of that worked right. out, but but also just straight up like Buddhist uh, gurus um, speaking uh, in favor of driving these people out, and they I, what they say is happening in their head, which I which I believe in some measure in terms of this right. kind of existential threat. Is they saw it as a challenge to the to Buddhism, mm-hmm. like, and that's what happens in the Christian record as well, right? It's like violence becomes okay if if it's interpreted if as defense against right. the collapse of the religion itself. Right. Um, I think almost every yeah. religion that has weight to it cosigns that. Yep. Yep. You know. Like, hey, man, keep it peaceful. Except for those guys over there <laughs> when they're tripping. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> It's something about power and yep. And I think it's almost, I think it's almost it. Religions are these weird things where they can kind of hold simultaneously the countercultural, transformative, better world heart of the message that seemed to get it going in the first place mm-hmm. and then becomes institutional, dogmatic um, power and wealth holding. Um, that those two get carried along together, and it's only at the pressure points that you see um, mm. that you have to declare sympathy to one or the other. Yeah, that's deep. So, in closing, yeah, if someone's like, "Hey, I am new to this idea of Greek philosophy, whether it's Socrates or, or Stoicism or whatever," like, do you do you have any like? If even if you don't know anything about Socrates, you can embody or embrace these ideas, and they can probably improve the quality of your days. What would you say that that would be? Whether mm. it was any aspect of I don't even yeah. you know what I'm saying I'm yep. just just curious. Yep. Well, this won't sound very technically close to any particular Socratic text. Mm-hmm. Um, which, just so people understand, Socrates was a historical figure who did not write a word. Mm-hmm. And his student Plato wrote texts that were conversations that Socrates mm-hmm. takes part in. So even Socrates gets transmitted to us through, um, and in fact, Socrates, even more strongly than not writing a word, uh, thought you should didn't like texts. He's That's like, deep. philosophy is only alive in our conversation. Mm. Um, and that he's famously he's known for saying he doesn't know anything. He clearly knows a lot of things, but I I believe him because I've come to see his I don't know anything to mean we don't know the answer to a question until we talk it out mm. um, in the moment in the context we're in. Uh, take nothing on authority, right? right? So we may have decided in our conversations in the past you shouldn't harm other people. Socrates comes to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. 
but we got a question right in front of us. Let's talk it out. Um, so I would, to me, the core message that maybe this podcast, um, encourages too is just is intellectual humility, the willingness to say, I guess simultaneously, I don't know, but I'm willing to inquire. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the one other thing actually that gets lost, this story about Socrates is reminding me in thinking about philosophy as a um, scholarly tradition, like all these figures who had thoughts and put them in books and you should read them, is also these things need to get figured out in community. It's not, you you have to have conversation. Like right. Plato's texts are conversations. Um, they're not philosophical treatises. So you coming to your stoicism adventure is a combination of talking to people um, in many different kinds of situations. Um, yeah. Reading, bringing what you learn in reading to your conversation and having open minds. So I, I think intellectual humility solves a lot. Like, uh, so how do you, how do you practice that? Um, I mean, I think, um, don't know how recent this was, but I think you've been handing out some great exercises like the, the view from above. Thank the view you. from above yeah. is a, that's a, that's an intellectual humility exercise. I think experience discomfort right. is a humility exercise. Um, so I guess I don't, I can't maybe add to any tools, but, um, seek out, seek out those kinds of things and maybe mm-hmm. listen to more, uh, Bishop Chronicles. Yeah, more Bishop Chronicles. That's the that's the answer, homie. Listen to the listen to the instructor, dog. Are you hearing what he's saying, man? Highly listen to it. man. Go back, check them shows, boy. Rewind thirty seconds. Yeah. Absolutely. No, seriously. So thank you, thank you. That that means a lot to me because I admire your brain on so many levels. I do have to ask you, what are your favorite philosophical texts? Like when, what would you say? Like I, I go like I myself. I read the Apology. Yep. And I read yeah. Euthyphro. Yeah. Those are my two. Those yep. are my two. Like if I'm like, I got to get back <clears throat> to the cranium. I will go read <laughs> Euthyphro yep. and I will go read the Apology. So definitely would support the recommendation. So Euthyphro and Apology, um, you can find it often in a in a book they call The Last Days of Socrates because they're also like a little play. He. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, this community that he challenged constantly put him on trial and, mm-hmm. and took him out. Took him out. Said, "Stop bothering us." And the Euthyphro is before the trial, so he's he's at the court and he runs into this guy Euthyphro, who's like, "I'm here to put my dad on trial for for murder." And Socrates is like, "Wow, you must know what justice is. Tell me all about it." Turns yeah, out that was not- crazy. <laughs> so I and it's short. Yeah, it really short. Amazing stuff, yeah. man. I might add. Um, to that particular list, the Crito. So after he's convicted, right. his buddy Crito comes to him in jail and says, look, everybody knew you were going to escape anyway. They don't really want you to die. Let's let's get out of here. Leave Athens. And he's like, ah, no, let's... And, and this is where I think he, he does this thing where he's like, run away, accept the death penalty. Let's talk it out. Like, I've got thoughts right. about it. Let's have a conversation. So it's a nice example of them trying to solve a particular problem. There mm-hmm. he is with his student. Should I escape or not? Um, and then just pay attention to what, you know, what motivates Crito. Because his, his, his thought process ha- makes a lot of sense, too. It's like you're a dad. You've got sons to raise. Right. You've got a reputation. You no need to die. So... So yeah, maybe I would add that okay. text to the list. Yeah, no, no, those are those are those are really cool. Those are really cool. 
Uh, thank you so much for coming on Bishop Chronicles. Thanks for inviting me. Is there any, now wait, so you, you've been working on a podcast. Talk to me about what you've been doing. Yeah. I want to know about this. <clears throat> Let me share this. Wisdom. So I'll tell you just a little, a little bit, cause it's just getting going, but it is actually live on iTunes now, but has not been broadcast at all. Okay. Uh, my teacher, since I was 18 in that program way back when, uh, Mark Mancall is, um, historian, knows a lot about, um, a lot of things, but but this the topic of this uh, podcast is what we're calling the history, theory, and practice of democratic socialism. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. So, That's heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, and my head just hung a little bit because like I can't. I just putting yeah, the, the title and I was like, right, right, right. That's it's, beautiful though. It's called a shareable world. Okay, which um, there's this great Toni Morrison quote from an essay. I think I have it memorized now. She says. The destiny of the 21st century will be shaped by the possibility or collapse of a shareable world. Mm. And I just love the simplicity of uh, we're at the point now where can we share this world or not? Yeah. Um, that's what's happening. That's what's getting figured out. Um, and we should all be paying attention. I love that. I love that. So everybody, that is the soft nudge to go look up shareable <laughs> world right now and get on deck, people. Get involved, would you? Um, okay, so look. This thing occurred to me about the apology a long time ago, and it literally hit me just like while you were typing stuff up. So I need I need to ask you this. Mm -hmm. Now, this goes back to the whole Socrates studying in Egypt thing, okay? Because yeah, yeah. this, this comes from Socrates, and this stuck with me. So, you know, he was on trial for... Uh, <clears throat> worshiping foreign gods, right? And bringing outside ideas into Greece, correct? Like that was kind of- Corrupting like, the youth. Right. And impiety, which which meant to his fellow Athenians, not respecting the Athenian gods. Right. Enough, and having different ideas about divinity. Right. And who, uh, just because I don't have the apology in front of me. Yeah. Who, who, was, who was the main person going, was it- Meletus. Meletus, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Meletus- tries to grill him on something, right? Mm -hmm. And his response is, by the dog of Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. Like he was, he huh. was, he, and I was like, the dog of Egypt? Like to me, if I was Melitus, I would be like, and my case is closed. He just swore by the dog of <laughs> right. Egypt, right? So the dog of Egypt, <clears throat> uh, if I recall correctly, I think is Anubis. Mm. Yes, that right? sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Why would a Greek philosopher swear by a foreign god knowing he is on trial for that very thing? And isn't that proof that at least somehow there was an Egyptian plug into his into his approach Possibly. because he swore by that dog? Yeah, uh, so my scholarly instincts would be I need to look in I need to look into this. Yeah. I I'll, I can get back to you about um People know more than me how they how they interpret that line. Yeah, but I would cert so. Here's Athens, a powerful port city. Right, people are coming and going. Right, this is true. Uh, who knows where ideas ebbing and on. a flowing. Yep, totally. going hither and yon. <laughs> exactly, ideologically. Right. So um, I just found that particular sentence yeah, striking. It's curious. Right. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Cool. Cool. 
Thank you, Greg you Watkins, for coming on the Bishop Chronicles. <laughs> I appreciate you. And and, and you know what? You too. I got to have you come back on because we didn't even talk about physical stuff. We didn't all even right. get into exercise that, at all. Yeah, health and, and so And so part two will be- Diet. Will be- Workouts. The philosophy <laughs> of the physical. There you go. All right? All right. And we'll, we'll do that soon. All right? Thanks Whenever again. Whatever you want. Thank you. All right Thank now. Thank you, Adisa. All right, y'all. You know what it does. I bring the smartest people. What I tell you, right? Okay? All right. So- Look into my man's podcast. Reflect on this wisdom. Bishop Chronicles, take it into 2020. You know what I'm saying? Thug style. We out. Teacher, what style is that? Don't think. Don't think. You are now listening to the Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles. You must learn.